The resurrection has happened. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. Imagine being one of those disciples, totally and utterly depressed, completely down, your hopes dashed, your desires gone out the window. Suddenly, you are bereft of what you'd lived for. Imagine being one of those disciples who then hears Jesus is alive again. What would you think? Oh, come off it. Would you be a doubting Thomas? Oh, come off it, get real. Is that what you'd say to your friends? Don't believe these stories. Imagine, imagine being on the road to Emmaus and there he is walking with you, talking with you again and you don't realise it until you're sitting down with him for this meal and suddenly, boom, it's Jesus and he's gone. He's gone. But it was Jesus. They were so sure it was Jesus. They belt back to the other disciples, they rush back. And when they get there, the other disciples are saying, yes, we know, we know already. We know this already. He's appeared to this one, to that one. And he keeps appearing to people. Suddenly he's there. Imagine being a disciple. What would you think, you know, like being in this room? And suddenly, boom, he's there in front of you. Hands with holes held out. Or you've gone fishing because you're cheesed off. Why are you go fishing if you were cheesed off? I have no idea. You go fishing because you're cheesed off with life and you're cheesed off with things. And you, you go fishing and... There's this voice from the shore. And your friend says, it's the Lord. It's Jesus on the beach. This is a man who a few days before was hanging from a cross, dying. Completely, it seemed, incapable of commanding his own destiny. Even to the extent of Romans holding him in that position. But it wasn't Romans, was it? It was him himself holding himself in that position. You know, when I was younger, I'm playing in this um, Christian band. Oh boy, were we chronic, looking back on it. But we used to sing a song he could have called 10,000 angels. I don't know if you remember that one. I suppose sang a hymn. I, I can hardly remember it now, actually. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he didn't. He went through it. And now he's alive. Whoa. But what a strange aliveness. <laughs> How odd is this? He can walk through walls. He can travel from here to there in an instant. He says, I'll meet your disciples over in Bethany. And they trudge over to Bethany. Whoa, there's Jesus. 
What sort of, what sort of body is this? But he eats with them. Do not ask me. Don't even think about it. Do we go to the toilet? Don't ask me, because I don't know. Jesus, it says, ate and drank with his disciples. That's as far as the Bible tells us. See, he had this extraordinary resurrection body, this immortal resurrection body. He had this extraordinary body that could do things and be things that we in our mortality cannot even imagine. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the guarantee that we too will have a body like his one day, that he, we too will be able to do things and behave in ways that we can't behave now, if that's exciting to you. And we'll get on later in the series to talk about where we will be like that and how it will be when we're like that. But right now we're not like that and the disciples were not like that, but they saw this first one born from the dead. This one who is the guarantee of our resurrection life. No one had been like it before. There was no one in history you could turn to and say, oh, it was like that. This was unique and remains unique. Yes, other people have been raised from the dead, praise God. But they died again. They weren't immortal. And even if they were raised from the dead, they, they were just their old selves in a sense. They didn't walk through walls and buzz about the place. He was unique. He is unique. This body is unique, but it's the first of what will be millions. And so the disciples had this incredible experience of seeing the first man who was comfortable and able to live in the presence of God and in the presence of us. Have you thought about that? He was the first person ever who can live in the presence of God and live in our presence. God, who is immortal, invisible, hid from our eyes. Let's read Acts chapter 1. Starting at verse 6. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he'd said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Lord, we're so grateful to have these words that can help us understand the glory and amazing wonder of what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Now I want you to turn, if you're turning, are you turning? To Daniel, book of Daniel. If you know, it's only a couple of verses, I'll, I'll read them. Prophecy, vision that Daniel had. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. See, Jesus was lifted up. taken into the dimensions in which God lives and in Daniel, Daniel saw a vision of the entrance of Jesus into that venue. What a privilege Daniel had. It's a good name, Daniel. He lent me a biro this morning so I'm really pleased about that. Daniel saw this vision of Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven. Do you see this imagery of clouds? He was lifted up by a cloud. He comes on the clouds of heaven to be presented to the ancient of days, Father God, if you like. When we were looking through Exodus, what did we see? The people of God being led by a cloud, the presence of God. When Solomon dedicated the temple, what happened? The cloud of God came to the temple. You see, it wasn't any old fluffy white thing that lifted up Jesus. You know, when I was younger, walking around the hills of the Lake District. It was interesting how you could walk in the clouds. I remember my first trip, it was a school trip, and we climbed Skidor on this school trip, and there we were, uh, the, getting towards the top of Skidor, and it was cloud, and you walked into this cloud. You know, there was this sort of misty thing above your head, and then it was sort of below your head. 
and you couldn't see anything. But if you ducked down, you could see a bit further. There was a very distinctive finish to this cloud. And we went over the top, and as you went over the top and started going down again, suddenly you were right out of it again. It was just over your head. It was a fascinating experience. I've remembered it ever since, this, this vision of this sort of solid-looking thing over your head, but you just walked through it. And there was no way that when you walked through it, it was going to lift you off the ground. No way. See, it wasn't any old fluffy cloud. This was the cloud of God entering our dimensions. See, what you've got to understand to make sense of everything that we're doing in this series is that God lives somewhere else than our cosmos. He created everything. He created everything that we can see or investigate or uh, radio waves from the far corners of the cosmos or whatever sort of instruments we're measuring things that are going on all over this created world. It's all of a piece. It is one created world created by the King of Kings who is not limited to it or in it and doesn't have his home in it. He enters into it and supremely enters into it in Jesus. But it's not his home. So we're back to the old songs again, aren't we? The earth is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Yeah? Is that the one? This world is not my home. Sorry? This world is not Oh, this world, thank you. See? We're similar in age. <laughs> this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Well, yeah, that's true now for me, because I'm a Christian. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Because this isn't where God is. Heaven is where God is. And that is my home. You can have all sorts of definitions of heaven if you like, you know, harps and angels and fluffy clouds. But the true definition is that heaven is where God is. Which is what's so exciting. I have to jump ahead and, and we'll get to this later but in detail. But this is what's so exciting is that God dwells with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. God dwelling with us in Jesus. But there'll come a day when there'll be a new earth. And heaven will be this new earth. Because God will come and dwell with us. It's not that we float off somewhere in the sky. But when we get this new body, we will be on a new earth. And God will come and dwell with us. And make his home with us. But for now, God is in a different dimension. He's not here. And Jesus goes 
to be with the Father. He said to them, didn't he? We looked at this before Easter. In that last supper, we looked at this. He goes, he says, I go to be with the Father. It's better for you that I go because I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And that will be better for you than my presence in this body because that's limited. Even though he was buzzing about like nobody's business after the resurrection. Whipping through walls and jumping through countryside. Nevertheless, it was better that he goes because then the Holy Spirit... He said, because when the Holy Spirit comes, it's Father and me coming to you, we'll make our home with you. And they'd heard these words and they hadn't understood these words, but now as Jesus is lifted up, so they begin to understand. Because in a few... In a few hours, Peter's going to be preaching, a few days, Peter's going to be preaching an amazing sermon. He must have been thinking about this right through. Jesus has gone, taken up by God himself to be in the place where God dwells. To be with his father again taken up by this cloud. And you can almost, the Bible's not at all clear on this, but I can imagine that this cloud takes him right through. It's the same cloud as Daniel saw. I like to imagine that this cloud takes him right through out of our dimensions into God's dimensions and there he is entering into God's dimensions, coming home again to the Father, like we said before Easter. He's coming home again. This is where the Father dwells, in these dimensions, outside our universe and our cosmos. And, and he just comes in on this cloud, the victor, the winner, the one who will now rule and reign. He comes, having vanquished the enemy, he comes and he is there. And Father gives him dominion. Let's look at some other verses. He takes up his reign. Um, Ephesians, oh dear. I'm going to have to flick through here. Is that okay? Are you ready for this? Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Can you hear Paul just expressing this immense, glorious, praising uh, sentence that says, this is where Jesus is now. All authority for the sake of the church. He's risen, ascended, glorified. He has taken his seat. He's at the right hand of the Father. This is what is true 
Now, this is where Jesus has gone. He's the one who's seated in victory. He's the one who rules over all things. He's the one who's been given every authority. So it says in Philippians 2, Therefore, you can probably repeat this with me without looking, can't you? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is exalted. He is glorified. There's a man in heaven with the scars of the cross, with a body that's immortal, the first from the dead. And Peter picks this up himself when he preaches at Pentecost. This is what he says. That David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Where did Jesus go? He went to the Father. He received power and dominion. And they sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. God is with us through the Spirit now. This Trinitarian God is with us, lives with us through the Spirit. And in that sense, Jesus could rightly say that the Father and he will make their home with us. But Jesus himself still sits at the right hand of the Father. You know this disappearing that Jesus did as he was lifted up and disappeared from their sight. He was not seen by them anymore. He, he was publicly seen rising. It was like God wanted to make sure that they understood this was the last moment of physically seeing him. You know, he'd arrived in rooms, he'd been with them, he'd fellowship with them on beaches, he'd cooked breakfast with them. You know, I like to think the breakfast was mackerel. Mackerel with, you know, fresh bread. Whoa, some oil. Some vinegar, a bit of tomato. You get the picture? I'm sure 
you know, there is a breakfast in heaven that's going to be great. But anyway, <laughs> this was, there was a finality to this. You know, when he spoke to Thomas, you know, suddenly he's not there anymore. He's gone. But they see him again. Someone else sees him. He's appearing here. He's appearing there. Um, but this is final. The cloud takes him. It's interesting what, what goes on here in Acts chapter 1, isn't it? Because so it's one of those funny moments in the Bible, you know? It's one of those little bits of humour. You can imagine the disciples all staring their open mouth as Jesus goes up into heaven on a cloud. A cloud! I wonder if even then their minds were thinking, hang on, a cloud that lifts people. That's not normal. I wonder if they got that far. I wonder if it's the cloud of God. But they're standing there watching this happening. Whoa! Whoa! And two angels suddenly appear. Poof! Poof! <laughs> what are you doing? They say. What are you doing? Staring into heaven. What are you doing? Open mouthed. What are you doing, guys? Wake up! So what's going on here? And so they say things to him. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? See, this whole passage starts to transition from their Jesus-centeredness to be still Jesus-centered but looking to the future. All through those resurrection appearances, I bet they talked about it and been excited about it. We're not told what Jesus said awfully a uh, lot except on the road to Emmaus, but now there's the potential for more disappointment. He's going. He really said he would go and he's going. What were these last few days about then if he's going now? We thought we had the king. And the angels want to focus them again. Indeed, Jesus himself tried to focus them. Verse 8. There's a sense in which the angels are saying to them, don't wait for Jesus to come again. Who knows how long that time will be? Wait for the Holy Spirit. He'll come. You're not to wait for Jesus. You wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. And don't get nostalgic. Oh boy, do I get nostalgic sometimes. It's, it's, it's not a strength of mine, really. I don't call it a strength. I get nostalgic for lots of things, you know. 
lots of past. And they, they could have got nostalgic. Oh, it was great. While he was with us, it was great. Do you remember when? Don't get nostalgic, the angels are saying. Look to the future. There's a commission for mission. There's a commission to reach the world. He's just spoken it to you guys. Wake up! Didn't you hear him before he left, before he went up in this cloud? He's just spoken it to you. He's just reiterated it to you. There's a commission for a mission to the world. That's what he's about. And don't seek a political solution. Oh, they said. Is it now? You get, is, is this now the time? You know, we're going to overthrow the Romans now. And he doesn't even answer the question. He just says, You don't know the times. Nobody knows the times the Father has set. The commission for mission is not a political statement. The commission for mission is to reach people with the gospel that changes their lives. You can have a Christian political party if you like. You can join whichever political party you like. You will be on a mission to see people redeemed from an old way of life and placed into a new one. It's a commission for a mission. So don't seek political solutions. Don't withdraw into monasticism. You know, they could have done that when they're staring into heaven. Oh, oh, I want to be in a spiritual place all the time. You won't get the commission for mission done then. And so it's like the angels are getting hold of them as a bundle of people who could have gone monastic, who could have gone political, and reminding them that now it's the church age, though they didn't know that at the time quite like we do, but the angels are reminding them now it's the church age, now we go forth with this message. Jesus is alive. Jesus reigns. You don't look terribly excited. Jesus is alive and Jesus reigns. And he can redeem your life and set you free. And there is this hope. There is always, always this hope that there will be a day when we too will have an immortal body like his, when we too will see him face to face, when we too will live with him forever on a new earth. Everything else he said has come true. Why shouldn't this? You know, when I, when I scattered my father's ashes in his favourite wood near Swanley, Kent, there you go. Some people know Swanley thinking, what wood? Which one? Um, so, Swanley in a wood there, I didn't scatter them with nostalgia, though there was nostalgia. I scattered them knowing that God 
is fully capable of giving my dad an immortal body on that day when he comes again. You have to wait the weeks of this series to know what happens in between, okay? Start on that next week. God is fully capable. Isn't he? The one who threw stars into space, do you think that's impossible for him? Nothing is impossible for the Lord. And so Psalm 110 says, the Lord says to my Lord, that's Father says to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. That's what he's doing. That's where he is. Until even death itself is finished. Thank you, Lord, that you reign, that we can trust in this truth, that you've ascended and you are seated at the right hand of the Father until every enemy including death, is finally defeated. Thank you, Lord, that we'll see you again one day. Amen.